Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Flames Nation Radio. Uh, as always, it is brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. And we have me, your host, Ryan Pike, uh, our usual co-host, Shane Stevenson. Hi, Shane. Hello, everybody. And a special guest, uh, fresh from uh, being chained to a radiator, doing sweet, sweet radio all the live long day, is our dear friend, Pat Steinberg. Hi, Pat. Hi, boys. What's going on? I mean... To be fair, Sportsnet pays him. It's not like he's, he's you know. Do they? Yeah, they, he, do. He, they do. They do pay me, I promise. He performs his duties semi-wellingly. So, uh, yeah. So, for, for those of you who and semi And semi-well. I do them semi-well. For, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Pat, Pat, uh, I think, Pat, I'm trying to figure out how long we've known each other. I think you and Shane are literally meeting for the first time right now. But Pat and I have known each other for the over a decade now because I think – you started in your current capacity at, at uh, Sportsnet Radio, I'd say like 10 years ago or something? Uh, it sounds about right. And by the way, it's not the first time Shannon and I have actually met. We have spoken to each other on the call-in show in the past. Uh, so Shane, is, uh, Shane has been a uh, call-in contributor on our Sportsnet 960 post-game show. Um, but yeah, for you and I. So I've been doing this job since, yeah, the... 2012 13 the last lockout season the 48 game season was when i started doing this full time so it's been almost a decade in this like current and, capacity and before that enough, i was doing the call-in show too i think my my first the my first game i think I, I started doing i joined i joined flames nation may of 2012 and then i think five months later we had a lockout so kent wilson had a, a really good sense of timing there uh hiring me on and then we just half the season gets wiped out, but yeah, that was the first season I got to really go to games. I think my second game was, or my first game ever was uh, a flames home loss that season to the Anaheim ducks where Tim Jackman was at his Tim Jackman best. And uh, here we are, however many years later, still doing this and uh, watching what has turned very, very quietly in some ways into a very good hockey club this season. Eh? It's been an unbelievable start to the year, boys. Like, I, I I was expecting it to be better than what we saw for 56 games last year. Like, that was a disaster. Last year was an absolute nightmare in every way, shape, or form. And so I was expecting it to be better than that. But, 
I don't know if I expected it to be this. And uh, at the time of us recording this, having them on top of the Western Conference through 22 games, like I, I did not expect that. And they're they're getting it done. Like, uh, guys, I don't know what you remember about the last two years where, you know, at, at around this time we were starting to talk about, are the Flames good? Well, in 1819, we were just kind of starting to have that conversation. And Elias Lindholm, Johnny Gaudreau, and Sean Monaghan were just starting to get red hot and turning into that purple Gatorade line. And in 1415, we were having the conversation about, geez, like Chris Russell's blocking all these shots and they keep having these comeback wins. Like, is this team going to make the playoffs? Well, this year seems like they are full on legit full marks for what they've done. They are Shane would know like he, he looks at this stuff more than anybody else. Like this, this team is like these underlying metrics are sustainable. They're good. Nothing about what they've done or very little of what they've done is like false flag or inflated or anything like that. These guys seem full marks for what they've been able to do so far. Well, 14, 15, like you said, they had to come back all the time. They were always trailing, always behind, always. And, and even from then, even the 18, it seems like they've always, this team has always been one that gives up the first goal all the time. And they've always had to battle back. And, and, and this year <laughs> league best, I think they're at 18 or 19 now after, after the game against Pittsburgh, 19 first, they've scored the goal first. I think, in 19 I think it's 18 games. Yeah, I think it's 18. 18. Yeah. It's something just ridiculous, and it's something we've—I haven't seen in the last decade. This team do it. It's—they've never done it. Add in the shutouts, and it's—and what Pat said, it's sustainable. Like this isn't this isn't them coming back and getting lucky goals or or just happening to capitalize off the rush. They're structured. Daryl uses the language "know how to win," and I really believe that the players themselves have they've all bought in they all see that it's working and they just work for each other now every single day it's it's been fantastic to watch yeah and Shane, Shane and I sort of talked about this the, the other week just sort of about the the thing that the thing I like about I guess the way Daryl is framing everything I mean I assume he's doing similar framing behind closed doors as he has before us media wonks but you know he he doesn't talk about them being a defensive team. He talks about them being a possession team, and he he pushed back I think a couple times on the notion of him quote unquote rolling four lines because I think he doesn't look at it as like okay it's been thirty seconds let's put out line two or line three or line four. I think he sees it as all of the players on the team have a specific function within a line within the team, and so you know we, we've we've even seen like a good example is that. Uh, I think we. I think people are calling you the three kings or all the kings. They, the line with all the LA kings on it. Uh, you know, Lucic, uh-huh. Richardson, and and Lewis. I'll, I'll say this: like you know, they would you put them out as your first line in, in overtime or or you know uh, if you need to get a goal? Well, probably not. But I, I think they've done a great job, sort of carving out an identity for themselves. It's sort of a, a tough to play against fourth line. They play in their own end really well. They get the puck out. Milan Lucic is, is, you know, a dynamo with that. You know, I think he, he mentioned it to, to Ryan Leslie on, on the broadcast on the TV side of the, the other game. Uh, that low five-hole shot is such a hard shot for a goalie because it's like the hardest place to close out in your five-hole. So it either squeaks through or because you're just trying to get a hold up, you're just trying to get something on it, it gives you a weird rebound and they get a goal the other way. So, you know, if, if a line like your fourth line is giving you the kind of minutes it is, I think it makes a lot of the rest of your team kind of click, right? 
I, I'm with you on that one. And, you know, I, I think that there have been times where, and, and like, I, uh, I follow flash analytics on Twitter. Like I, I, uh, I follow along during the game. There have been, there have been times when that line has had trouble and when, you know, they've got caught out against a, a really good line on the other side and, and maybe have a shift where they're running around in their own zone. But, by and large, like, you know, at the very least what to expect from them. Um, you're not going to get a lot of offense, but they are going to work hard. They're typically going to do the right things. That's the one thing that I notice about Lucic is that, you know, offense aside, the six even strength goals is awesome. But Lucic is like, he's always in the right position and he always makes the right play. And the hockey sense is what's keeping him a relevant player in the NHL because he doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have like, he's not going to beat you in a foot race or anything like that. But you know, what he does is when he's around the puck, he makes the right play and it's a, a hard chip off the boards or it's uh, it's a good body position to get a, a short two foot pass to a player to help an exit. Uh, or he makes the right play entering the blue line to get a cycle going or something like that. So it, it's, 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 are, are you going to, are they going to move the needle most nights for you? I don't know. I mean, but what they do do is for the most part, they don't hurt you. And then they also bring kind of the intangible stuff to you. And I, I, I think what Lucic is doing right now is a big time tone setter. We, uh, we spoke to Rasmus Anderson about that today, guys. And, and like, he is, he is one of those guys that is universally liked on that team. And, and, you know, he's a guy that when he's delivering the message to, from the head coach to the rest of the group, I think it's that much easier to buy in to the brand of hockey that the coach wants you to play. And Dubé even said that, that when they were, they were asking Dubé about playing against Crosby the other day. And he says, well, you know, what's cooler is I'm sitting right next to Milan Lucic right here. Like, like you can see it with everybody on the team. They all love it. And like when the Lucic deal happened, I was initially upset with myself just because I didn't want the contract. It wasn't the player, everything advanced like analytics and transition, everything, everything suggested after the season that just had happened, that Lucic was the better player. But, you know, there's Flames Oilers hate that it was a trade between the two and, and you just initially didn't want to like it. And now everything he does is a bonus. The fans love him. You know, he's better than anyone probably initially expected him to be right when he first came. And, and he and the number one thing is he's always out there trying. He's always giving it his all, whether it's working or not. It doesn't matter. He's visibly and you can visibly see it. He's giving everything he's got every time he's on the end. And, and here we are a couple of years later, and the Edmonton Oilers are paying both James Neal and Milan Lucic not to play for them, which is like, – I did the uh, I did the math, guys. The Oilers are paying right now $125,000 a goal uh, for Milan Lucic to this point. Uh, 750000 is what they're eating. He's got six goals. I double-checked on my calculator. That's $125,000 courtesy of the Oilers per Lucic goal. And the, the thing, the thing, Shane, I think you hit on this pretty well. The, you know, let's, let's be honest. I mean, the Flames are a team that has some guys limitations on them. But I think, I think that the thing right now that's working for them is that the guys who have limitations know they have limitations. Like, you know, Eric Goodbranson seems like an extremely self-aware player. Eric Goodbranson does not try to go end-to-end to do anything fancy. Eric Goodbranson does what Eric Goodbranson needs to do. And I think, you know, you could say that for the, that entire fourth line. I think when he's effective, Nikita Zadorov 
is a guy who plays within his, I, I think the, the Chicago game might've been his worst game I've seen him play because he was he de- to score he, so bad. Yeah. I, I think he might've been a bit caught up in the emotion. And I think, you know, when he calms it down, I think it's, it's better, but I think, you know, if, if you're, if you're wondering, you know, why these guys are effective, I think it's, you know, I, the, I go back to, you know, I, I was, I was told pretty, pretty bluntly that, you know, in the phone call that uh, the Brad Living had with Milan Lucic to get him to wait his no move, he basically just, you know, talked to him about what he wanted to do and dropped, figured out what he felt he had left and what motivated him and sold him on a role. And the role was, Hey, we don't need you to do everything. We just need you to do what you want to do. And it's, it's worked really well. And while you probably don't want to be paying a fourth line guy, 5.25, I don't know if there's a lot of fourth line guys in the league who are going to be scoring six goals all season. So, you know, is he overpaid? Yeah, I'm not paying for him. None of us are paying for him. And if the idea is you'd have James Neal playing way out of a role and all due respect to James Neal, I don't think James Neal had the self, the self-awareness as a player that Lucic had before when he got here and still has. Because I think Neal, you know, the, the, the scouting report on James Neal was if he's not scoring, he's useless because he was very, very limited defensively. Whereas Lucic, Lucic is perfectly fine defensively. He doesn't hurt you. And you get, you know, nice goals here and there. And I think that's one of the things I think they're happy with getting. And I'm sure they'd love to have more cap space, but I think for, for the, the choices they had, I think they universally feel the front office that they made the right role or the right move rather. Well, I didn't translate a lot of this was made. We didn't know the cap was going to freeze like that. That is an unexpected thing. Like I always look at Toronto's situation too and go like, well, you know, everyone's the Leafs are so tight. I'm like, I, when they signed all these contracts, they did not envision that they were going to be strapped and having to take league men players. Same with Calgary. They acquire Lucic. Well, it's going to keep growing. We'll eventually be able to grow out of it and get better players. Life doesn't always work the way we expect it to. And mm-hmm. they've, they've made a decent situation out of it. Next year, it's projected to go up. Uh, you've done some great projections, contracts. If anyone's listening to this, go to Flames Nation. Look, Pat, not Pat, sorry, Pike has uh, done tons of projections on the contracts for the RFAs. And it's, they're spot on. And Johnny Gaudreau. And Johnny Gaudreau. And Johnny. And Johnny. And Johnny. Uh-huh. I, I really, I'm, I'm in the, Pat talks about it on the radio all the time. I'm in the keep Johnny camp myself. Um, but they, they, as you've alluded to, they do have a situation and it's most likely someone's going to need to go. And that, that kind of leads into the conversation of who, well, who next here's, year here's would the thing be though. the guy. So like we, you know, uh, you know, Mike Gould sort of mentioned off and on on Twitter, especially, especially with, with Milan Lucic playing so well that I, that he thinks that uh, the Flames might be able to find a suitor for Milan Lucic. I'm not so sure I, here. I, I'm of two minds of that. A, um, I'm kind of a devil, you know, kind of guy. If Lucic, like Lucic has one year left after the season. So if you think you can, if you, if you get between now and the end of the season, a lot of useful games and very few games where he's a detriment. And so far he's been good to very good in pretty much the, you know, the, all the 22 games he's played. Then I think you look at what he brings and go, okay, fine. Because if you, if you buy him out, you're only getting 600 grand of, of cap savings. So it's, and then you have to replace him and that's going to cost you at least 750. So there's really no point in that. You're not really coming out ahead financially. If you trade him, I mean, you could trade him. You still need to replace him. And, you know, with his contract, you're probably not going to get amazing value back for him. But, you know, look, looking at the, the four, looking at the, the four, uh, 
for the three RFAs and the one UFA, like, you know, Mangiapane, Kachuk, uh, Shillington, who suddenly become a, a player of note that they're going to have to spend some money on and uh, pending UFA, Johnny Gaudreau. I mean, with my projections, it's looking like you're going to have to spend about 27 to $29 million to sign them both all to long-ish market-ish contracts. So assuming that none of their agents say, you know what, Brad Trilithing, you're such a swell guy. We'll take a pay cut. Assuming they all just go for market, you're looking at 28-ish million. So the Flames, uh, according to uh, Puckpedia, 30 million on an 81.5 cap. The cap's going to go up again by a million next year, we're told, to 82.5. So you got you have you have the better part of 31 million dollars to sign 28 million dollars with the players and then fill out another six roster spots. So the math does work. Like they're they need with the guys they have, they're they would need to have about 35 million to sign everybody, like to fill out a roster and sign these guys to decent contracts. So so what are you what are you projecting on the the deals for each guy like what are we talking about as an AAV for Gaudreau that you have projected? I have him at eight five, but that's assuming okay. he signs for the full eight because eight five only makes sense to me because you're capturing like he's going to be twenty nine. He turns twenty nine in August, so he's twenty nine a month into his new contract, and this basically covers his entire theoretical de- uh, pr- production decline. Like I think he'd be signed from. When he, you know, he'll be 38 when he signs the contract, and when it expires, he'll be 28 when he signs the contract, and 36 when it expires. And there's not a lot of, you know, outside of, you know, Mark Giordano, there's not a lot of players that have their productive peak in their mid 30s. So you're probably going to be looking at Gaudreau making decent money, and he, he might be a little bit overpaid in his mid 30s. His contract winds down. I, I think that's the kind of contract where they they feel reasonably okay with. Uh, but the rest of it, I mean, I got, I'm, uh, if, if you're listening to this on Thursday, folks, this is going to be on the site. So we'll give you a lot of dumb math. Uh, but yeah, I have uh Goudreau, eight years at 8.5, Mangiapane, five years at five, three, Shillington, four years at 3.2 and Kachuk, eight years at 9.25. Uh, the obvious thing here is, Hey, why is Kachuk making more than, than Goudreau? And the answer is he's much younger than Goudreau. And so uh, in, you know, assuming that they, if they both have the same career trajectory, Goudreau, uh, Goudreau got in the NHL later. And so the same number of years will take him further into his decline where with Kachuk, you're basically buying all of his most productive and most expensive years. So those four guys at those cap hits are for lack of a better term, I think if I if you inflate it by ten percent, like if you say Ryan, you're 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 off your rocker, you're probably underestimating this. So I added ten percent to those to, for about a twenty eight and change, just to, just shy of twenty nine million dollar cap hit for all four of them combined. So they had thirty one million dollars in cap space, and it's gone. You lose it just, three players basically, yeah. It just like I don't think it's as crazy to suggest that they can get that done as, you know, I think it's been made in, in some circles that, well, they're going to have to lose one of those. Will they have to make sacrifices on their roster to keep all three of those for sure? But, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to be, I don't, I don't think it's as, as impossible as it's, it's been made out in certain circum, certain circles. And I, 
will it be difficult or will Brad Tree Living have to be creative with it? For sure he will. And I think that, you know, you're probably talking about a Monaghan having to be a casualty and you might have to give up some assets to move a Monaghan out or you might have to be talking about some other creative ways. And as Shane was talking about, you might have to go the Maple Leafs model and backfill with some NHL minimum contracts. I think that might be something that they have to look into. But I mean, what if, if, if that is the road that you have to go down and you got to make some sacrifices and you have to get creative, isn't that still better than losing Johnny Gaudreau for nothing? Because I, I don't see them trading him at this stage. I don't see I don't see that being a viable option if they're fighting for top spot in the conference in, in two and a half, three months, which I don't think is out of the question. Everything that we are believing the Flames are is that they're going to be a good team as we move into the, the final three quarters of the season. So I, I don't know if trading Johnny Gaudreau is something they'd be interested in doing. So then you're talking about losing him for nothing. Is that really what you want to do? Is there a way that you can go out and replace that guy, especially with how good he's been this year specifically? And then the same is true with Kachuk and Manjapani. Like, do you, do you really think it's better to let those guys walk or trade a Matthew? I, I don't know. It just, yeah, sacrifices might need to be made and it might put Brad Tree Living and his management truly to the test, but I still think that's the best case scenario for the organization when it's all said and done. And aren't these the kind of problems you want to have? I mean, these are four guys that they drafted, they developed, they like, this is realistically, let's be, let's be blue skying here. This is the best case scenario. I mean, they, they go, especially if you look at that 2015 draft class, you go in with you, you trade away three top 60 picks and you get Dougie Hamilton. And then you draft three guys who end up playing regular key roles on your hockey club like the, the, I, I think as 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 lauded as the the 1981 and 1984 drafts are in flame circles uh, looking back on on, uh, on draft history like the 2015 draft was a home run like it might be a grand slam home run based on all the things they're able to do and all the needs they met because you know they, they managed to do a lot of things and but this is the best case scenario like you're you have you know you go out and you 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 take a chance on an undersized board and johnny gaudreau like i think you know, Pat, you remember that that draft year. It was, I think, he was listed by Central Scouting as like five, six, and one hundred and thirty-five pounds, and then he became the hottest thing in college hockey, and they were just laughing because they found a really good player that no one knew was who was that good. And like same with same with Mangiapane, same with like Shillington fell in his draft year because he, you know, I, I look, I talked to people, I looked around, he basically just got bounced from team to team because he played on the U18s, he played in the U20s for the national team. He played uh, as a six, 17 year old uh, everyday minutes in a pro team and didn't really move the needle because he was physically 17 and not a big dude. And then he went to the secondary league. And yeah, so his, his whole year was all over the place where so he never really got traction in, in any particular place. And he still went, you know, what 60th overall to the flames, the very last pick of the second round. So like this is the, the, the best case scenario is you have four really good players who have become really good players rather than just guys who could be something. Well, they are something. I mean, even Shillington, who is probably the biggest surprise they had, Shillington has become a t- – Shillington's the player that they probably, you know, sitting in the scouting meetings, you know, year by year went, should we trade him? Nah, because he could be really good. Well, great, he's really good now. And so now it's like they don't, you don't – realistically, their, their top four is probably set for a few years because everyone they have, like, outside – Everyone they have is either signed for a while 
or young or both. And Shillington's the only one who's not signed for a while and young. And he'll probably be signed for a while and still young after this season's over. So that means their top four is going to be figured out and they're not going to be paying probably anybody in their top four more than, more than uh, four point something million. I think, uh, but four, it's four, nine, five for, for Hannafin, I think. So, yeah. He's just under five. Yeah. That's, my, that's, my that's favorite not a bad place to be in. My favorite comparable league wide for Shillington, like that I like to use is Gustav Forsling in Florida. He had similar, like he didn't play full years, 41 games here, 41 games there, like Shill. Uh, he had a bit more offensive success. But then he signed long-term at under 3 million. It was like 2.75, I believe. I'm going off the top of my head. I don't know. Um, it was 2.75. That, I, I don't, yeah. So it, that's nice. my favorite comparable because it's like similar uh, pathway. Like, and then this year he's 12 assists in 21 games and he's a key member of the reason Florida is doing so well, similar to Mr. Shillington here in Calgary. So um I like you and you added, I know you alluded to adding 10% to your projection. So if Shillington comes in at even for four or five years at under in and around three, I'm thrilled. Uh, especially, but, but the key is he has to keep up this play all year. This isn't, he can't fade out at game 41. He can't fade out at game 60. He's got to get through to game 82 as well as the playoffs or, or it just, or, or we're, like right now we're over projecting just because he's been so well, which is mm-hmm. a good problem to have. But he's got to continue with his own play. I, I have faith in him. I love the way, like that game against Pittsburgh, the way, the amount of times he got the puck, spun around and transitioned two line passes directly tape to tape from blue to blue. And the Flames just immediately went back in on the attack was one of the key reasons they were able to dominate Pittsburgh in possess, puck possession, chances, high danger, everything. And it was, it was the transition game from Shillington. A bit, I think Hannafin's learning from him. I think Hannafin's watching him a bit because I've seen him attempt some of this stuff. But it all starts with Shillington getting that opportunity, having the stability in Mr. Fix-It on the right side there. And, and so I, do, I don't think his play will drop off. But again, he has to continue for these projections right. to continue. Even, even if his production dries up, and I think it's inevitable that it will, like it slowed down the last like five games because there, it, there's no way it wasn't going to. Even if he, if his production slows down a lot, like you're, you're still, I think it's the stuff he, he does away from the puck that's so much better than it used to be in terms of his using his speed and using his, like uh, the, the, the Pittsburgh game chain was a really good example of that because, you know, like Pat and I are the benefit that we get to watch him, him in person and sort of see him away from, from the puck a bit. Shillington is so good at using his, using sneaky body position because one of the best things that he's learned, I think is sort of the sneaky defensive tricks of, you know, you, there was a couple of cases where, you know, Chris Tanev is going back to, to, to grab a loose puck and for a puck retrieval and it's him and Shillington with a guy forechecking behind them. And then Shillington just sort of slows down slightly to just basically use his butt and his body position to slow the pursuer down to give Tanev an extra half second to collect, get his bearings and make a pass. And he does that. He does so many of those little things all the time. And it, those are things he w- wasn't doing as consistently in the previous times in the NHL. So he's like, he, he just, he's just a good player. He's just, it's all clicked for them this year. And, you know, you can, you can, you can gripe about having to pay guys when they, everything clicks or you can go, okay, cool. Good. That's what you wanted. Right. Well, I mean, Oliver is one of the like truly great stories I can remember with this organization. Like that is a straight up win for them. And, you know, I, I, did they handle it the right way the entire time? 
I think that, that we can debate that. Should he have been playing prior? Like, you can have those debates, and I think those debates are fair. But the fact that he has gone from being, I think for most people, number nine on this team's depth chart, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I thought that it was done in Calgary. I thought that another organization was the only way Shillington was ever going to become the guy that we thought he could be. You know, for him to go from that and not just be in the lineup, but to be one of the most, like Shane just broke down how important he was against Pittsburgh. And we've seen that in numerous games this year where he has been a driving force. And, and look, I give Chris Tanev all the credit in the world. And I think Chris Tanev should be getting more love for being in the team Canada Olympic conversation because of how he has driven two of the league's best pairings over the last two seasons. Go take a look at those metrics on Shillington and Tanev and where they stack up against other elite pairings in the NHL. Like we're talking possession, expected goals. Like they are elite. They're the clear number one pairing on this team. And that's no disrespect to how well Rasmus and Hannafin have played. But like Shillington, and that's not just Tanev. Shillington is a huge part of it. And there is a, I, I just, I had a sit down with Oliver last week on Friday and uh, he came into the, the hot stove lounge at the saddle dome and sat with me for about 15 minutes. And like when he talked about Tanev, you can tell how much he respects and buys in to what Chris is all about and what he does on the ice. Basically what he said was, I know exactly what Chris Tanev is going to do every single time because that's how reliable he is. And imagine, imagine being somebody like we all are talented at different things, right? The three of us. So imagine knowing that you're talented, but of never being put in the right situation or never having kind of the right support. And then bam, all of a sudden you've got the right support piece beside you. And now you can just let your talent speak for itself because you can support the person that you're, or you're, you're supported by the person you're working with. That to me is exactly what we're talking about right now is because Tanev is so rock solid and because he's so reliable and consistent back there. Like when he gave a puck away against Winnipeg that led to a goal, it was mind blowing. Cause you're like, Tanev doesn't do that. And, and it happens like once every 20 games. Right. And so having a guy that reliable, it just, it must make it so much easier for Oliver just to go out and let his raw talent and his ability speak for itself. And look what the results have been. It's, it's a, it's an incredible story. And, and I give both guys a ton of credit, but just the overall, maturity that Oliver has shown in his game and his approach to being on this team. It, it really is one of the awesome feel good stories I can remember with this team in a long, long time. Uh, and, and at the risk of this turning into the flames nation, unicorns and rainbows, everything is awesome. Smiley time, happy hour. Uh, let's get into some anxieties we have. I'll just go, I'll go first. I don't love their cap situation. Uh, the Flames, as of right now, have banked about 100 grand, 130 grand, 160 grand, something like that. I haven't updated my spreadsheet in a couple of days. But, you know, they, they basically have enough cap space that they can have one player on regular IR and one, and, you know, a 23-man roster. They can pay 24 players against the cap at a time without dipping into the LTIR. So, like, let's be honest, like, in you know, for, for those of you who, want, who care or want to know, LTIR can, can be retroactive, but you can't save money for previous days. So, like, say, if tomorrow somebody broke a foot or stubbed a toe or their leg fell off, they could put Brett Ritchie and LTIR retroactively and then just eke their way through. They don't want to do that, though, because they don't bank cap space in LTIR days. 
But the, the, the problem is they're basically a bad week of injuries, like a bad weekend, a couple block shots away from being in some serious, serious cap trouble. And for a team that's been so good at sort of rolling a consistent lineup, I think that's one of the things that'd be a challenge, just throwing guys who are used to roles and used to, to a niche on the team completely out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do you got? Uh, Shane, what, what are you terrified about? Uh, I'm terrified of an injury to one of two players, either Elias Lindholm or Michael Backlund, because up the middle, those two, uh, like Backlund's the shutdown guy. Backlund just went toe-to-toe with Sidney Crosby and gave him nothing at five-on-five, like nothing. Backlund won that matchup hands down, so impressive. And Lindholm gets the best shutdown guys against him and keeps those other two guys uh, defensively responsible. Matt, now, Matthew Kachuk's been fantastic defensively, but, but one of those two go down. And the entire chemistry of everything that's working on the front lines is at risk. And sh- and I, I'm sorry, but Sean Monahan and the, what he's shown me so far this year, uh, it still may be injury related. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him. I don't know. But he has not looked like Sean Monahan of old. He looks a little step off. And I don't. I just. I don't have fa- personal faith in him to be able to replace what those two have been doing because what they do is so unique. And and the Coleman Backlund combo is good luck. And the top line you can't touch. So that that is my number one concern. They need I think they need another third line center that can shut down. I don't think Brad Richardson can do it. He's he's doing the no event thing on the fourth line. If all of a sudden you're putting responsibility on him to score, good luck. Um, so that, that's that's where my main concern is. Uh, I, I I genuinely believe something might happen with Monaghan. They, they, he's always been in the rumor mill mill. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're starting to get into the meat and potatoes of the season where stuff happens. Players start player movement trades. Teams want to improve. So you never know what can happen. Brad's always talking. He likes to get his feelers out. And, I was uh, I was talking to scouts this week, and a lot of them, a half dozen of them I talked to, about two-thirds of them went, they can move them. They can move them. I don't know what they get for them. But a lot, of smart people a, I talk to, a lot of smart people I talk to think there's a market for them still. Well, the amount the amount of tries Alex Galchenyuk's gotten alone just for being a first round pick gives me like when everyone says oh they can't move Monahan I'm like they'll be they could if they wanted to they 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 could I I, I don't know if they'd have to pay to move him like that's 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 a whole nother conversation but mm-hmm. what I'm at is I was like first round picks especially top ten picks like Sam Gagne is still in the league in Detroit like they, their runway lasts way longer than anybody else so um, but at, but. To the main topic, what I was concerned about is if Lindholm or Backlund get hurt, I'm concerned. So I, I, I'm sure Pat's got some too. Yeah, I think the the number one thing that I am concerned about right now is you know what what happens, and it's it's kind of similar. It, it's what are you getting, or what is the perfect fit uh, beyond the top two lines? There's a very clear top six, and I think you're very happy. With those lines, the Lindholm line is one of the best in the NHL. I still think, uh, I still think they're the number one line in terms of minutes played together in the NHL anywhere, uh, and they've been dynamite. The Backlund Coleman Manjapani connection—it's great because you've got these two pairings. You've got the historic Backlund Manjapani pairing, which has been great for a few years, and now you've got a Coleman Backlund pairing, which uh, has been really, really good too. So you love the top six. And I guess you can be okay with Richardson, Lucic, Lewis as a line, but 
it's not just Monahan. Like, what is Tyler Pitlick doing right now? And and he's sitting there on a line with with Monahan and Dubé. I don't know where Pitlick fits on this team as it stands right now. I think part of what's keeping him in the lineup is the fact that he's a a right shot. And Daryl likes to have a little bit more balance between right and left shots in, in the lineup. And there's a little bit more balance now with Lewis and Pitlick being brought in. Um, but I just, you, I think you need to find a third line that can be a little bit more effective and can give you a little bit more just in the overall game. Cause right now, like I, I think the Monaghan line is routinely hurting the team. There have been some games where it has, but I don't think it like routinely hurts you, but it just, it's not a needle mover. It's kind of just, it's wasted minutes in a lot of, in a lot of ways right now they go out and essentially the role they're filling is to buy time for the backland or the Lindholm line to get back out there because they're not really doing a whole lot. They don't generate a ton. They, they don't spend a lot of time on the attack. They're kind of just there. And I still have high hopes for Dylan Dubé. So I'd like to see Dubé have an opportunity to maybe be put in a spot where he can be a little, he can be maximized a little bit more. So I don't know if that, like, does that mean you go out and you, you search for a guy like Tomas Hurdle? Does that mean that you throw your hat into the ring with a guy like Jake DeBrusque? I just like to see them get a little bit more, uh, more depth in their bottom six. So there's not such a drop off from the back of the line to the rest of the group. That would be my number one anxiety right now. And they're just, they're other than Lucic, they're not really getting a lot of scoring from elsewhere. We know what you're getting from the top line. We know what you're getting from Manjapani. And even if Coleman and Backlund aren't scoring a lot, they're still contributing massive ways elsewhere. But where are the other goals going to come from right now? And I think Dubé is a guy that you want to be in that category. So how do you put him in a spot where he can be? So that, that's, that's what I'd be looking for right now. And, and Dubé has shown flashes of offensive brilliance seemingly on and off all the time if you i look at his i, I look at the i go to hockeyviz.com all the time and i look at the heat maps and dubay's actually been one of the better creators of chances around the crease now yeah. i'm pretty sure most of that was tied to when he played with manjapani because manjapani is the king at that like if you look at that mm-hmm. he's it's it's a giant red spot around the opponent's goal zone um and really i just don't have faith in sean monahan to carry a line anymore he never if did you, carry it in the first place if, if you so, go to evolving hockey Cheap plug for for the twins at Evolving Hockey because that uh, that subscription pays for itself with how cool all the cool data. Uh, but they sort of break down goals above replacement uh, into sort of constituent elements. And Dubé, he's a replacement little player everywhere but offensively, and he's about a goal, goal and a half above replacement at even strength. Like he's just a good offensive player. Uh, Dubé is a replacement level player everywhere but the power play, which. We'll, we'll have plenty of time over the course of the season to litigate that. But Pitlick you is mean, just sort of – Dubé or Monaghan? Monaghan, yeah. Monaghan's uh, positive on the power play and replacing level everywhere else. And Pitlick is just sort of there. So the problem is, like, there's, you know, at least with – if you look at the – if you look at sort of the bottom six and third pairing groups that are working for Calgary, the third pairing, it's two guys who are just non-entities defensively or offensively, but are, you know, positive defensively, and that's the only situation they're really put into. Uh, the fourth line is a bunch of guys who are pretty decent defensively and have okay-ish impacts offensively outside of Lucic, but they all sort of have – you know, they, they all sort of have complementary skills, whereas – on the, the third line, it's just sort of it's it's kind of feels like the the Flames fourth lines used to be like I remember 
vividly when it was Matt Stajan, Christopher Steak, and Troy Broward. All due respect to all three gentlemen, but I think having three guys who complementary skills is they're not particularly fast is not good for a fourth line. And the Flames just the the third line is just a line that doesn't really click, and it sort of plays a bit slower than everyone else because of that. So. I agree with Pat. I don't know how they make it work because the cap is, in a word, bad. It is not a great cap situation, but, you know, they have picks, they have prospects, they have ownership that's apparently willing to pay players uh, to uh, to go elsewhere if it makes the team better and, you know, gets in some playoff revenue. So, I mean, we'll see, but, uh, yeah, it's honestly – Pretty you bring good. up a good point on the fourth line because I think the Flames have had previous fourth line players that probably would be better suited to help with the offense that could still do the defense. Um, like Mark Jankowski and Garnett Hathaway were great no event players. They were. Garnett Hathaway is actually one of the better penalty killers in the entire league. And I didn't know that until he left. And I started looking at specific penalty kill numbers. Hey, the, the, in my, in, and I was like, I was like, give them back. I was like, give them yeah, back. I Shane, want. I'm an old man. So I'll tell the, that, that Mangiapane Ryan uh, Hathaway trio was probably the best fourth line they've had since they've been, since I've been covering the team because they were just, they played with pace. They had a fast guy. They had three fast guys who could play fast. They had a good, def- a good defensive center, a good four checker, and a guy who could bring some physicality and, and get some shots. And that's that's like you know you don't need to have the three best players and you know to, to do anything. You just need the three best guys for roles. And you know I think the third line. You know we talked about Daryl wanting to use use all his lines. I think the third line is the one he has to have the most specific situations to use them well. And I don't know if they really found their footing yet. So. You know, it's still early. It's, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if Sean Monaghan, you know, he didn't have, I can't imagine he had a full training camp in terms of preparing the way he normally would because of his recovery from his surgery. He might not have had the same off season prep because of that. I mean, you know, when you're hurting and you're sore, you just can't, you know, and you're healing, you can't do things the way you want to do. So I'm willing to give him a bit more runway before I really say, get him on a bus to Ottawa or to Buffalo or somewhere. But I mean, well, he's got to approve that bus. This this team right now, this team is a machine, and there's only a few pieces that aren't really humming. And you know, there'll be times when you know Chillington's pairing doesn't really generate a lot of offense, or Gaudreau will go cold for a week or two in the middle of the season. So, are they going to get enough offense out of the you know the bottom six in that uh, you know and elsewhere to get anything going? So, we'll see, right? I, I mean, I mean, I think. No one, I don't think any, all three of us, or hopefully none of our listeners, expect every guy to have it 82 games a year. Like, like that's just natural. It's not going to happen. I don't it's have it 82 games a year. When, when, someone, uh, when someone does falter, do you have the depth and the proper depth to do it? And right now, uh, as Pat's clearly alluded to, I, I do agree with him. The third line does need looking at and serious consideration for what's going on. But then on the top of all that, as we, we've t- we kind of touched around everything, but the problem here is we've got a hundred thousand dollars in cap space. We, we don't really have room to call up more than one person at a time. Right now it's Rosichka. And what are they going to do with it? You'd have to move somebody of decent salary to do anything. And, and that's not going to be Zadarov. We've clearly seen that. And as you've alluded to, we haven't even talked about poor Yuso uh, right now and how he should, he needs to be playing wherever and if it's if he, if he can go to Stockton then maybe he doesn't come back with the team after this trip's done it's quite possible he just stays in California but uh, Stockton's short on defenseman right now too <laughs> will, I'd be I'd be watching for too. that boys I I'd be watching for that I uh 
it would uh, I think there's a very decent chance that we're talking about Uso playing some American League games uh, over the weekend. Like yeah, would the, not, uh, they got two against San. It Diego. would help them accrue. It would help accrue cap space too. And this the Western road trip is a great time to send guys to Stockton because they're right there. They're all within. The, the, if you need someone an hour zone. before game time, they can be there. So yeah. this is this is the, uh, you could send both Rizitska and and now I think they're doing the right thing. Rizitska's been amazing in the A, and they're giving him an NHL paycheck right now. And he, if they need to plug him in, I think he's just as good as option as any, especially in the bottom six. But they, you know, this is an opportunity this trip to actually accrue some serious cap space as well if they play their cap card right. So. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, to, you know, our, our buddy Mike Gould is down. Uh, poor guy. He flew down to Stockton to cover some games for uh, covers some heat games live. And then the first game, the Bakersfield game gets wiped out because Bakersfield had some COVID issues. So I think, I think Mike's going to the, uh, he'll be at the LA game. Uh, he got himself a ticket. So he'll be watching the LA game at Staples Center uh, on Thursday night. But yeah, the, Stockton, I mean, they, they lost Kevin Gravel to an injury of unspecified, uh, unspecified length. And, you know, that last game they played, they had to, they have three third pairing guys they've been rotating through and they threw them all into a game and it went about as well as you thought it would. So Valimaki potentially down there for a game or two, gives him a chance to be the guy for a little bit and get his, you know, get his swagger back because, you know, much, much like Oliver Shillington, if you take, you know, if you're a puck mover and you take away somebody's confidence or you don't give him a chance to build it, then it's tough because you're always worried. So having, having, you know, Uso go down for a weekend and just ragged all the AHL might be the, the thing he needs. So we'll see well, what happens. And, and look, I just the the I just think you got to be really careful on the USO front um, because I do think like this is this is a it's an interesting scenario they find themselves in. Obviously, the coach does not trust them at the NHL level right now. I don't think there's any doubt about that, and that's why we have seen him play one time in the last sixteen or seventeen or whatever it is. Okay, so the and and that would naturally shake the confidence. I also think that we're talking about a guy that you don't want this to turn into another situation like we saw last year with Sam Bennett. And, and you don't want this to turn into a scenario where you lose a situation or you have a situation get away on you and with a young player. You says what, 22, 23 years old. He's still four seasons removed from being uh, a number, a number one pick, a first round pick. And I, defensemen don't come along as quickly as other positions do, especially when you lose essentially two full years of development. So I think you need to be really delicate with this guy and really delicate with this situation. Uh, and if you're going to send him to the American league, I think the message needs to be right. And I think that the, the vision and the goal and the next steps need to be clearly uh, laid out. So you don't turn this into a situation where, it's it gets away on you and now all of a sudden you got a trade request and now all of a sudden you've got a trade request and an asset that doesn't have the same type of cachet as it had before that's the one thing that i'm worried about with valamaki is that it turns into another sam bennett because i still think the ceiling on the player is really high and i i think there's a potential that if you move him and you don't get a lot back he can go out and and elsewhere become a really really good player and that is not what the flames want to happen and, and i'll say this 
the 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 toughest thing for Sam Bennett was what the hell was he? Because he was going to be a, a, a middle six a winger playing with Backlund and Kachuk. And, you know, there seemed to be a role there. And then, nope, not that. Okay, now he's a center. Can he be a center? He's not quite great at center yet. Okay, he's not a center anymore. And, you know, part of it was circumstance with, you know, you already had a Gaudreau and then Kachuk comes in and has a niche right away. And then Mangiapane becomes whatever, you know, what he became. And then they traded for Lindholm. Like, I feel bad for Sam because I think a lot of the things were partially – I think just partially just circumstances, but I agree with you completely, Pat. I think, you know, like for the flames right now, great. Like you have potentially two really good defensemen on the left side, you know, young and signed for a while, good contracts. And on the right side, you got two, you know, an older defenseman in Tana, but you have basically your top four figured out for the foreseeable future. So can you develop Schilling or Valimaki into the third pairing guy you want him to be, but with some upside? Because I think he's so good. Like I, I saw a ton of the Western League. He's so good at so many things. And if he, if you could figure out a way to have him help your club, I mean, realistically, the, the league's trending big, young, and fast. And shockingly, Yusuf Alamaki is all of those things. So it'd be a shame if it didn't work out for him. And they have him for next year too. And and I'm going to be blunt. Yep. I, I'm questioning again. It's a big cue on whether or not Nikita Zadorov comes back. Uh, because he's getting 3.75 million now. I'm sure he'll be looking for a raise. And I don't, as we've talked about our cap situation, I highly doubt that uh, it will be in Calgary. So if, if you can replace Satter off with someone making half as much money, you're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. Or, exactly. or if you can move, if you can move Zadarov for a pick right now, I think the Flames should be doing it. And I, I get it that he's big and he does some things well, but if he's not coming back for you next year, I don't think it's crazy to think that you could think about moving him for uh, a pick. You gave up a third-round pick for him. If, he's if, been great at defending the slot. Like it's, his number, it's the only thing pre-acquisition, pre, pre when I looked at everything, the one thing, he did one thing well, and it was he didn't let shots from the slot. And again, this year he's doing one thing well, just one, and it's defending mm-hmm. the slot. So he doesn't he doesn't have any other aspects to his game. So like, like Pat, I'm, I'm with you there, Pat. I just thought I'd jump in and say that. Well, I think we should wrap this up here, guys. Uh, Pat is the host of Flames Radio, and they're on a West Coast swing, which means that Pat is going to have a series of nights where he does not get a lot of sleep. Uh, the Flames play off the top of my head. Pat, tell me if I'm wrong here, Pat. It's a 8.30 start on Thursday against the Los Angeles Kings, which means a 7.30 Flames warm-up. An 8 p.m. start on Friday in Anaheim, 7 p.m. Flames warm-up. Sunday, they're playing the the Vegas Golden Knights, 8 o'clock start, 7 o'clock Flames warm-up. Then Tuesday, they close off the road trip against my cousin's favorite team, the San Jose Sharks. In San Jose, I believe 8 o'clock start, 7 o'clock Flames warm-up. Yeah, it's uh, I believe it's three eights and one eight thirty. I'll actually take it compared to some of the other uh, years we've had where like they'll go into L.A. on a Monday and do an eight thirty. You're like, OK, do we need a Monday eight thirty? And uh, we do have a Tuesday eight Thursday. Uh, the, the, the Sharks game to wrap it up is an eight thirty. So bookended by King Sharks at eight thirty. I thought San Jose was an eight thirty because L.A. and and San it's Jose TV. always do the it's always the TV. ones. So. It's, it's always weird. the TV guys. It's weird that it's 8 p.m. in Vegas, though. Like, that just strikes me as odd. 7, 7 p.m. local start. 
on a Sunday yeah. though. Like we see lots of yeah. early starts. Hey, Vegas doesn't Sunday. Vegas doesn't obey anyone's rules, but their what's own. on the show, baby? We got the bright lights, and we want your money. Let's go. But anyway, we'll we'll cut it off there so Pat can get some some uh, some beauty sleep because uh, God knows he's gonna be working some wonky hours this week. Uh, if you get a chance, check out the po- pre and post game shows on uh, our, with our friends at Sports at Nine Sixty The Fan. They're lovely people. Pat also hosts uh, Flames Nation Live on our Facebook page. It's also on Spotify and YouTube, I believe. So if you want to engage with Pat live, he does those a couple of times a week. So you can you know shout questions in real time at Pat and tell him how brilliant or unbrilliant he is, depending on what you think of his wonderful opinions. Uh, and of course, Pat, Shane, and I are also deluging the, the Flames Nation website with content. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, we're recording this on Wednesday. Thursday, you will see my all-too-detailed breakdown of the Flames cap situation for next season and how I think they can probably keep all the guys they want to keep. But like Pat alludes to, there will be some decisions they got to make to make that work. Uh, as always, we are brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. Uh, For Shane and Pat, I'm Ryan. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 